Welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with me, as always, my host, Clay Williams. Hey, how's it going? And uh, this week, we're joined by uh, writer Shay Vassar. Hi. I said that right. I'm not... It's Shay Vassar, but honestly, oh. at this point in my life, you can say it however you want. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I'm I'm not too picky. Yep. Does anyone mispronounce the Shea? Yeah, I get Shia a lot. Really? Yeah. Oh, that makes me sad. It's okay. It happened yesterday, and I just let oh. it happen. Oh, boy. I could have done worse. That's all I'm looking for. Exactly. Uh, all right. So, we need to really talk about Kevin here. I, 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 I've been wanting to bring this up for a while. We need to talk about Kevin. It's good that Dude's no good. Now. This week yeah, he's no good. I'm glad that we're finally at this discussion. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's been I, a long time in the making. Um, Shay, how did you come to this movie? And how did you come to movies in general? Like, how did this become an interest? Um, well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I grew up in Oklahoma. And I didn't grow up with, like, cable. And our internet was the dial-up. And it was super slow. Um, and it was like a time where if my sister tried to call someone, you got cut off. Um, so I spent a lot of time outside during the day and then inside at night watching like our PBS channel. Um, and then about every two weeks, my mom and I would go to the library and I would pick out movies. Um, and so that's how I came across some of the best, uh, like classics and my mom like introduced me uh, for I think it started with like Shirley Temple because those are pretty accessible for kids and then it grew into singing in the rain and American in Paris and uh I mean I was always that kid that when people would come over for sleepovers I would make them sit through both cassette tapes of my fair lady (laughs) 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 so um And then later it turned into like around the fourth and fifth grade, I would make people sit through the extended cut of the two towers. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I would like wear my, uh, not star Wars. That's a whole nother thing, but like my Lord of the Rings shirt and showed them my Lord of the Rings trading cards. Uh, So I didn't have a ton of friends, (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's basically. And since then I just like, can't stop. Yeah. Two Towers is great. Jack has never seen a Lord of the Rings movie. I haven't. That's, a, that's like my biggest blind spot is that... that I've been meaning to say that. <laughs> so I can roast you. If you'll say... Yeah, it feels like that's that trilogy seems like you have to make a day of it. So I'm waiting yeah. for like an occasion where I can just finally get around to it. But it doesn't feel... It feels... I mean, I wouldn't know, but it would seem like... If I were to have to do one, then I would have to do all of them just because they seem so compact, like a complete package. Yeah. No, I. it's not a bad way to get exposed. Definitely. Do it all. So, so Shay, we let you pick the movie as we do all our guests. So why did you pick We Need to Talk About Kevin? Mm. Um. Well, I really love Lynn Ramsey. I think she walks on like clouds uh, in my book. I 
I think we need to talk about Coven was the first Lynn Ramsey movie I saw. And since then, I mean, not like there was a ton, but um, since then, you know, I saw more Vern Collar and uh, then the new one, the um, You Were Never Really Here, came out last year. And I just am so impressed with her visuals. So, and, but also she always likes to pick these very complex relationship dramas that are kind of on the verge of horror. Mm. And I really love that. So I was like, okay, well, right after Halloween, so horror, and right before the holidays when we're all with our family, let's look at, we need to talk about Kevin. (laughs) Um, If I may, I have a really interesting story about how I first came to this movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, So in 2016 was when I was first getting into film and I was just taking any recommendation I could get. Like, it doesn't really matter what country, what genre, what decade. And I got two movies recommended to me on the same day by the same person. And um, this was like on my way to, um, for like a vacation. Um, It was like for a flight. And the two movies were, we need to talk about Kevin and Bronson. The uh, Nicholas Wong Griffin. Uh, oh gosh. Biopic. And those are two both fucked up movies. And um, I just, (laughs) I was 16 and um, was I I was 15. Yeah, I was 15. Oh boy. And um, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying about, Lynn's visuals because I, I feel like some shots in this are like deep into my subconscious now. Um, I mean, Bronson's going to, well, I mean, we'll never cover Bronson, but um, <laughs> I don't, I think that Lynn Ramsey is a much stronger director than Nick Reffin, even though they're both visually oriented. So I can kind of see how um, um, some people would, would vibe with him, but, but yeah, um, this movie's has always been there, I, I feel like. And it was only until recently that I, that I del- dove more into her when You Were Never Really Here came out. Um, I s- checked out Morven Collar, and I checked out uh, Ratcatcher, which are both very hard to find. Yeah, Ratcatcher too. Uh, unfortunately, inaccessible. <laughs> it sucks that, that they're both not at the ready. But, but yeah, she's a, one of the best directors working right now, even if she's, she hasn't have had the chance to make as much as she, she'd like, or maybe she wants to only make four features. I, I think that's, that's rad because each one is really stuck with me. Yeah. Quality over quantity. So I saw this movie for the first time, funny enough, uh, with Jack. He, recommended it to me and so we skyped uh together and watched the movie simultaneously we've done that a few times but he really wanted me to see it and i think i put it on a watch list um for the summer of movies i really want to see um i saw it back in uh, july and i was pretty blown away by it i have this funny uh this funny thing that was for some reason i get i got ezra miller and barry keoghan confused i got we uh, killing of the sacred deer and we need to talk about Kevin for some reason. We're associated in my mind, and I have no idea why. Um, 
but so the first so I saw it for the first time and I was God, I was really I, I saw You Were Never Really Here before that, though, which is a movie I love. I only seen two Lynn Ramsey's um, and uh, the cabin was just it kind of blew me away. And how I just there's also the turn in the movie of like the ending, which I was not expecting. Uh, and it really messed with me. Uh, I, I, I really I loved it, though. And I, I will be honest, I did not rewatch it for this podcast because one i think it's pretty sketched into my mind but two i didn't really want to go through it again <laughs> to be honest it's 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 a rough movie to watch honestly and especially in this day and age um which jack kind of warned me about um he wasn't too uh discreet uh he wasn't too descriptive of what happened but when i but he kind of alluded to it but i still wasn't really prepared um it's a great movie though yeah, no, I um, I don't know why I have, like, a very weird ability to watch really dark movies just over and over again. Um, uh, it's kind of, like, a great thing, but also, like, kind of scary, because I'm like, is this a character flaw of mine where I can, like, casually sit through these movies that deal with super dark issues and be fine? I mean, not saying I'm, like, totally fine, but... Uh, would be <laughs> probably a time to like call someone else, uh, but I definitely it was interesting because I I was able to notice how much my perspective changed on the film. Um, not necessarily how much I liked it, but like just on how I read it. It was so different the second time because yeah, that first time you're like you're sitting there and you're sitting there, and even though you're kind of know something is about to go wrong when you find out like what Kevin ends up doing, you're like, what <laughs> is this real? And then especially in today's day and age, like, I mean, even at my job the other day, we had an active shooter drill and I was, I was freaking out in my head. Cause I was like, this is a real thing we have to do nowadays, you know, is an active shooter drill on a casual Thursday. And, um, so it's interesting that this movie coming out in 2011, which obviously school shootings have been around, but 2011 is a definitely different time for like um, violence in that realm than even in the last like two to three years um, where we've just seen it like escalate. So it's it's so weird how it I'm not going to say it predicted the future, obviously, but how it's just kind of come into context a little bit more and a little bit more. And it brings into question, like, is anyone to blame in this situation? Like, of course, I'm not going to relate that to real life because, mm -hmm. but like it, cause it kind of is questioning that, like, is anyone to blame in the situation of Kevin? Um, I don't know. It's just, yeah. I, found it, uh, I, I was really surprised. Cause that's, that's the thing that I, that, I was talking about where I was like, I just was not ready for it. Um, especially in 2011, which is before uh, the Sandy Hook shooting, which is probably the one shooting that made it so permeant in culture where we're all now hyper aware of it. Cause we had Columbine before that. And, um, but like 2012 is when it really happened with uh, the Aurora shooting and Sandy Hook. So, but like, so I was just, it really kind of surprised me how, 
how um, poignant that uh, scene is and the idea of that horrible um, tragedy in this movie when I just I just was not expecting it. And I think I kind of like the, the main question is who is who to blame? I think you put that really well is is there a culprit in this? Um, and it's really interesting that they take that that uh, Lynn takes that stance because that's hard to do. Yeah, definitely. Have either of you guys seen Vox Lux? No, but I, I you told me about it. Shay, have you? No, okay. I need to. I'm so bad at seeing new movies. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it a little bit on this most recent rewatch because Vox Lux. Well, I don't know if it's a spoiler, but yeah, okay, spoilers for Vox Lux. But it's um, there's a a tragedy involved, and I think oh, who directed it? Um, shit. Well, anyway, the movie mishandles it, um, I think, compared to this, which is just another ripple in the effect of uh, Eva and Kevin's relationship. It's like the crescendo, but in Vox Lux, it's using the tragedy as as like a a setting off point, and I, I think that that thesis needs a lot of mental gymnastics for understanding Natalie Portman's character later on in the second half. But that's for another... We may cover it later, but... Um, yeah, and something else that I thought of on this most recent watch is Eraserhead. Ooh. Um, just in the fundamental... I can totally see it. idea of, like, this worst-case scenario of parenthood coming to fruition. Um what happens when you spawn the absolute devil <laughs> both literally in Eraserhead and metaphorically i guess here um just because this is something that I, that's like so that could so easily happen but um for eva it's like i think that she's on a journey of self-discovery at least yeah. in, in the pre-meeting franklin timeline um as she was when she um had kevin uh, do you want to quickly, uh, just just for a bit, do you want to guess who directed Vox Lux? Because I, I, I know it's, who it is. And Corbett, you told yeah. me about it's it. It's pretty Corbett. Now I yes. Yeah, the yes. co-star, f- or one of the leads in Funny People, which is really weird. <laughs> and Melanie um, star and Childhood of a Leader, which is also very good. He directed that. I'm still stuck on the fact you said mental gymnastics. I think that's a great term that we should all like use in the future. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. That was great. Um, like, yeah, this movie, it, something you said where it's, both of you said who's to, who's to blame. It it kind of sometimes feel like Kevin is this mystical curse. Like he's not like necessarily a real person, even though he has some humanity to him. It's just so like, like you said, he's like the devil. It's just, he's born instantly kind of evil, which is, Again, something you don't really see in these kind of movies. It's really, it's disturbing. It's, it's really disheartening to just see it because you still have. Usually, with that kind of depiction, you would not have any hope for the character. But through Tilda Swinton's great performance, you still have that little spark of hope that he might get better and that he might be able to connect later. Mm. But he's, but it's, 
but it's only really true uh, through uh, Tilda Swinton's eyes, because if we just saw it without her great performance and how the script funnels a lot of the emotion through her, we would feel nothing but contempt for him for the entire movie, where I think it needs to be kind of gradual as in like, I mean, we kind of hate him from the beginning of like of how much of a, a twerp he is, but we don't think he's evil. And then it keeps going, going, and then you realize, oh, this has all been building up to something truly horrible. Right, because, like, when he's in his, like, um, infant to toddler to, um, like, five to six to seven range, you can kind of see, like, oh, he's just, you're on Franklin's side a little bit, at least for the first few watches I was, where it's like, he, he's just a little kid. This is just what little kids do. And... And he's right, and and also Eva's right, in in being like I think there's something there's a bigger problem here, but I think because she doesn't know what she doesn't know herself, it um, it causes her to stop looking for help for Kevin, because that's what I tried to look for in this most recent watch, um, like what could be the cause of this. Um, even the, even if there was no cause, what is the closest guess? And I think I came to like, she was just afraid of standing up for herself, um, and seeking the help to, for Kevin. But even, even so she did, maybe Kevin is helpless. I think yeah. that's a really tricky situation here. Yeah, no, you're right in the fact that she doesn't ever really stand up for herself. Cause I noticed that too. I'm like... There's times when he's like, um, like, leave me alone. Like, um, you know, I'm thinking of the part that like right after he's done being sick and he's like, I don't give a rat's ass. Like talking about like when she's just like, what do you want for lunch? Like, it's not even that. And then big. she's like, I'm glad you're feeling better. <laughs> like, yeah. Tilda knows like, the nails the comedy sometimes. It's like, <laughs> it's so comedic because you know that it's sarcastic, but she says it in a way like, but it's like. Obviously, I'm not a mom, but if I was and if I had a son that, that was that age that said that to me, like, I would not be as, like, passive aggressive. But it also has to do with, like, a clash of personalities mm-hmm. between the two and the fact that Kevin just, like, immediately starts, like, putting this dominance out that she does not rebuttal. So you're you're probably right in the fact that she just doesn't know who she is. So she doesn't have that confidence to be like, no, you can't say that as my child. I don't and, know. It's, yeah, it's like this master manipulation plan through, like, his first day on Earth. It's, yeah. it's pretty wild. Um, the crying. <laughs> yeah, the crying. And and just to go back to that scene when he was sick, I don't even know if he was actually. Um, he, like, he actually let Eva nurture him. And he actually let her be a mom for once and not make her life a living hell. And then, yeah, and then the next, and that was just to, like, lure her in even more and and that's when he kind of snaps at Franklin to give him a taste of the medicine where he's like dad get out of here we're fine or something to that extent and um yeah and then he just like keeps on rolling with this horrible life that he puts Ava through yeah I think um yeah like Ava has like a lot of possibility or she has a lot of opportunities to just really boss franklin around he's such a he's so nice um but he also feels 
he doesn't really feel in control of anything. He feels he kind of feels like to be a witness and he does a few things here and there, but he doesn't really he's way less cynical and kind of happy go lucky, uh, which kind of makes things hard to realize for him that like the situation he's in with his family. Um, and he's just kind of I don't want to say a dope, but like he is manipulated so easily by Kevin um, and he's his kid, so maybe that's why, and maybe, and also Kevin does it really uh, well, but I remember watching it, like, I was frustrated of how little he supported um, his wife. I mean, he he did, like, emotionally, but, like, her decision-making, I, I kind of was, like, you know, obviously, because we know what she sees, but he, I guess he doesn't, but still, I felt he just really was seeing like oh no you're probably overreacting it's fine it's fine it's fine uh I, but you know john c Riley is so good um Riley's and awesome. it he yeah. pulls off that kind of not mindlessness but like uh blind blind those blinders he has in the movie he pulls that off so well i think the key for uh eva's perspective like we just never leave what she sees like Tilda's in every scene. This is a masterful performance. Um, but yeah, since we never leave her perspective, I think that um, we never see uh, Franklin's side of it. He's a very passive dad. Like I'm, I think he's a great, he's a good dad. Like he lets his, he lets Kevin. Uh, I don't know. Um, is he a good dad? <laughs> he lets yeah, Kevin, I don't. Like, I don't think he is, but I can see the argument. Yeah, like he lets Kevin uh, practice different. Uh, hobbies and and he seems like he he gets along really well, but I think that's just because he sees himself as a good dad, and Kevin wants to support um, Franklin but not Eva because why we don't know, and I think that is left to us to talk about. The reason why I think Franklin's a bad dad is because he makes the mistake that a lot of dads do is they decide they want to be the best friend instead of the parent. They want to have this like this friendship and connection and you know this um this openness with their kid. And that's and you and that's great, but you also need a balance. You have to be the drill sergeant and the friend. But if you're but he leans so heavily into the best friend where he does those blinders come on and where he views his child differently and that relationship is impacted where he doesn't have much authority. And it, it I mean, it, I think it's, I mean, he's harmless, but that's kind of the thing is where he's too passive and he doesn't take control enough. Um, I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm saying though, like there's this complicit complicity um, to him that I feel like is the downfall, but then again, who's to blame? Yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking about this and I didn't even think about the fact that you have two completely passive parents and that's why it works so well with like Celie later is because their daughter isn't trying to pull any tricks over them and manipulate them at all. But both, you know, Eva and Franklin are passive. And then you have a kid like Kevin who, even if he was just born with like a super headstrong personality, he kind of just pulls one over and he uses, he manipulates Eva for everything that he wants that um, he can't get from his father. And 
and then uses his father's dumbness basically and like like those blinders that you said like he uses that against franklin to get the rest of everything so he he learns very early on that neither of his parents are gonna do anything about his manipulation and it just continues to grow and grow and grow and sadly because of the way he is his parents like it's kind of like gaslighting eva who's like there's probably something wrong with Evan and you know obviously no one listened so they didn't talk about him that's you know I think you said that in your review like they really needed to talk about Kevin he needed to talk about Kevin and every time yeah like I I do love that part though when they attempt to talk about like their divorce and then uh Franklin being like you know that that happy-go-lucky dad is like you know, son, if you take things out of context, and he's like, what do you mean take it out of context? I am the context. And I'm yeah, like... such a dick move. And the way that when Ramsey shoots that, it's like, um, Kevin is, is is on this staircase, and they're down below on on the couch, and, and the positioning is, is everything, because Kevin feels like such the superior individual in that scene. Yeah. Because um, if he was just, like, level with them, it would take all the power dynamic out of it. Um, yeah. That's such a good point is, yeah, I yeah, know, the, the different heights there mm-hmm. and, like, and not just, like, physically being taller or sitting down and standing up. It's, like, a whole other level mm-hmm. that he's, like, up on. It's, yeah, no, that's such a good point. Um, what do you guys think of the timelines? Like, that... Um, approach because every time I've revisited this, I think it's like rewatched three or four. Um, I, I, it takes me a minute to figure out in what stage are of Eva's life are we in, but like, I'll obviously I'll eventually get into it, but it's not like, I don't know, like what, it's not like Pulp Fiction or something like, um, I, I won't immediately recognize what timeline lines up with which one. If that yeah. Makes sense. No, it makes sense. I, I, it was a little jarring first time, and I was a bit confused. But I think it's really, it's surprisingly really well done and well handled. I say surprisingly is because it's so hard to pull that off. Um, it, whether it be too obvious or too confusing, or it just feels too much. Uh, I think it just, it's so the editing in this movie is so good that it just, it feels so seamless. It feels, it feels fluid instead of like a halt to everything, to the plot. And also, it allows, like you said, Jack, about how we keep in Ava's perspective, that's, like, that's the main thing, is you see the past, present, and future of, like, her. Um, Maybe not the future, I don't know. Depends on what you think is the present in that movie, but it has all this context for everything. If there was a future, I think it would be post- uh, Yeah. Tragedy, school tragedy. That would, yeah, I think that's- yeah, I, I don't. I, I feel like that would probably be the post, but you yeah. know, who 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 knows? Um, it really adds that context and adds that mentality when it. So it kind of makes sense of like her midlife. I don't know if you want to. It's a pretty severe midlife crisis, but it's still kind of like a midlife crisis of questioning who she is. I mean, um, it, it if, uh, what's it called? I, I'm gonna get this wrong. When you have a kid, a mother has a kid, and they get is it post 
mar- um, something depression. It's like it, it, you, for some reason, postpartum. Thank you. Um, it has like they have this reaction. Well, and I aren't and moms either. Just to. No, we are not. No, no. Last time. Uh, not yet, not yet. Oh, yeah. Who knows? We're getting there. <laughs> I, I, it, I think it really tackles that subject well, which you don't see a lot in movies because it's so hard to kind of feel okay with it because it's such a weird concept of a mother being so apathetic towards their child. Um, and it's just because the way society has trained us and how we, and you know how a lot of people have relationships through their mothers is just. It's so foreign, but it's still a thing that happens, which and we don't address. Um, and this movie really depicts it so well, even if maybe he was the devil, but he's still like his her kid. So there is there is a connection there. And it really in that context allows the entire movie to make sense and feel um, well thought out and uh, fully formed. Yeah, um, Ezra Miller has this interview that he did i think when it premiered at can and he's like i saw kevin as someone that needs like 24 7 nurturing and it's like those unrealistic goals um that allow allow him to i think take control of eva Um, yeah even if it was like intentional or unintentional i feel like since he's so demanding and, and obviously nobody, mom or dad, can't be there all the time to raise another person. Like, that's just, that, that just can't happen. So maybe Kevin saw that and he's like, I'm going to really take this out of proportion and and see what this can do to me and, and what this can do to other. And maybe he just never felt the love for his mom that even never always fell for him right like what what made me think of of a loveless family was like that ending scene when spoilers for the end but um yeah it's it's when she just embraces kevin and kevin just like has the look of someone that has no emotion so so, it's so haunting it's It's so haunting yeah it's 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 quite haunting yeah well, and just like Lynn Ramsey's ability to take everyday things and make them eerie. Mm. Like there's a part where Kevin is crunching like fruity pebbles on the counter and the way that it's shot is just like really scary, which mm. it's probably, you know, due to the fact at this point we already don't, love Kevin because we're really confused why he's so mean to everyone and then he's just randomly like crunching them but in some situations that might just be like a nervous tick or something but we read it as something almost more sinister because of the way it's shot and it goes into like close-up of him just like slowly like crunching these and it's like who thought of this like how is crunching cereal on a tabletop like the scariest thing ever but somehow the way it's shot and the context and everything you're like things are about to get crazy and the and sound design too like you feel like yes you're, you're right up close to it i know oh, another example uh, of her visual storytelling is when and this idea came to me from every frame of paintings lynn ramsey video if, if you guys know every frame of painting it's no it's like video essay channel on youtube that 
that I used to watch constantly. He's doesn't work anymore on YouTube. He's hired by Criterion actually. Um, oh wow. Yeah. So I mean, I I think YouTube to Criterion is quite the step up. <laughs> but yeah. So he has this video on Lynn Ramsey, and he talks about the visual storytelling of that scene when I'll link to it in the description when he like puts that jelly sandwich on the table. Yes. He like runs to his dad. He's like, and. And Eva is mocking me. He's like, hey, dad, take any cool pictures today? <laughs> and, <laughs> and you just, you see that switch. Like, it's like a light switch. When it, and that um, little boy, Kevin, is fantastic. So good. <laughs> um, but when he, um, he, yeah, so like the jelly sandwich is sitting there. And, and then like a few shots later, maybe it's the next shot. Um, you see like it's infested by like ants and insects and bugs. And, like, you can take that a few ways. Like, clearly, they haven't cleaned up the mess. One, it's still there. It's not going to clean itself. And two, like, this is the the whole uh, Eva and Kevin relationship in, in how it's getting so much worse as his life progresses. Like, how... It's also, like, infested the family. Right. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's literally like their whole, the whole situation with Kevin is literally the jelly sandwich on the table rotting. Like the movie could be called, we need to talk about the jelly sandwich stuff. <laughs> Cause it's like, <laughs> I, yeah, no, that really bothered me too. I'm like, who leaves something that long to where you just like already attract ants? Like, uh, yeah. I don't like that. No, you gotta clean that. You gotta clean that up. Um, so I wanted to get to something that I know Jack will probably have, I don't know, two hours to talk about. Uh, the composer of this movie, your your guy, your 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 man, Johnny Greenwood. Oh yeah. You you want to go off, buddy? Um. Well, I don't think this score is available to stream anywhere, which is unfortunate. It's about how available. Ratcatcher and Morven Collar are. <laughs> but this, yeah, so I mean, Johnny Greenwood is the guitarist for Radiohead. Um, and he started to score motion pictures with There Will Be Blood um, and has worked with PTA ever since. And I think this was their first, yeah, this was definitely their first collaboration. Um, and then he scored You Were Never Really Here. And he's just. Yeah, he's one of my favorite musicians alive. And um, I think this the score is, it's not, I don't think it's stuck with me as much as the You Never Really Hear score, um, which I'm sure we'll cover sometime soon. <clears throat> but yeah, I think it's, it really, set, it really sets the tone. What I find more um, long-lasting than Greenwood's music is actually the soundtrack. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that. Which I haven't analyzed. And I think that it must have deeper meaning. This is Glenn Ramsey. But I don't, like, have you guys dug deeper into, like, the lyrics or song choices? Um, no. I'm I'm usually, I'm that kind of guy who doesn't usually analyze music too much. Uh, I just, I mean, it's a good soundtrack. Yeah, I just know that both the soundtrack for You Were Never Really Here and this one both use like a very kind of retro sound that always will stick out to me in more modern films. Mm. Um, so 
I, I can't remember the exact lyrics in this song, but there's one song and we need to talk about Kevin where it's repeated a couple of times. And then it, at one point it even sounds like maybe someone's playing it on a record player in the house, but it's never shown. And it says something about like being like a mother's child. And I'm like, Oh, it's so creepy. And it just enhances this whole idea of like that mother child relationship that's like going on. And uh, yeah, so I, I actually like made a note to myself to download the songs on Spotify just because I like being creeped out and why not on my morning commute be a little creepy, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's a uh, Mule Skinner Blues by um, is it uh, uh, Lonnie Donegan Ham and Eggs Every Day by Buddy Holly. There's a few Beach Beach Boy songs I think. Um, yeah, no, it's a interesting. It's definitely an interesting soundtrack. One song is called uh, "Mother's Last Word to Her Son," so oh. that's apt. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. It, it it's good though, and I think. I think the reason why I wanted to bring up Greenwood, besides Jack's ever-loving crush on him, um, I think I, I think it's the score is really effective. When you guys were talking about like how how can him crushing Fruit Loops on uh, on a table can be so um, uh, intimidating, I think Greenwood adds to that. It's you know a lot of the time score has to make up for maybe a scene that might seem monotonous or kind of mundane, if you really want it to strike an emotional punch. Of course, like, the filmmaking aspect is also insurmountable, but it's something that kind of kind of triggers an audience to be like, okay, this is what we're kind of going for right now. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think it's really great. I mean, I, his, his music is incredible. Um, would it be fair to say, Jack, that Phantom Thread is your favorite score of the decade? I think you said that. Maybe I misheard you. I just admitted last week that the social network was my favorite score of the decade. Oh, uh, that's right. But even, yeah, that's right. even then, like, it's so hard. I mean, that's recency bias, of course. Um, but of, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, that's so hard. Yeah, I mean, how about this? Like, Greenwood's scores of the of the decade, then, uh, man, that's even harder. Yeah, I'll give it to Thread. sure. I'll go with the populist answer. Um, it's... It's incredible. I don't think it's too yeah. populous. Um, but also, once we cover, I mean, that, any of PTA's movies uh, this decade, or You Were Never Really Here, that's when I'll really geek out. <laughs> because, um, I mean, and not to say this is a like a, mon- like kind of a bland score, but it's, I just think that he's, this is like his improvement period because he hadn't yet scored like The Master or Her- or Inherent Vice. Um which I think that's when he really tries to be more experimental and pushing what is considered conventional film music. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's really effective. Uh, so what do we think about... Um, it's funny that we haven't really talked about her too much because it just feels like what's there to say about how amazing she is, but uh, Tilda Swinton. Mm. Uh, probably... I would say, my, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty confident saying my, my favorite performance with, with one of the greatest living actresses in today. today. Oh, yeah. She's so versatile that at first when you say that she's in a, a role like this that is more passive, you're like, 
why aren't you utilizing her more? But it's almost like the passivity of Eva is just, it weighs on you so much because of their performance, because Hilda Swinton is able to kind of like use her eyes and like her slight little smiles and just like her body language to say so much without saying much dialogue. Cause I was, I was thinking this movie really doesn't have a ton of dialogue. There is so much no, said no. in, in just body language that, and, and looks um, that if you didn't have your main character, um, be able to pull off that that anchor emotion then everything else would kind of fall apart and she really really anchors the movie i noticed that yeah Renzi likes to choose actors with very interesting faces yeah like her yeah. joaquin phoenix samantha morton they all have um they, yeah they can really express um different features i don't know um yeah so she she doesn't really use ensembles, and she likes to put her actors in every scene, so it 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 let lets them uh, play around more in in this environment. Um, I think that's really cool. There's not a lot of directors that would just focus on one like yeah one person pretty much um, consistently throughout their entire career. Of course, I think if I I was thinking about this last night, but if I were to like have one filmography to watch for the rest of my life, I think it would be Tilda. Like just yeah. like stick to one, one entire career because she's, there's pretty, a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of variety. Like I get some MCU in there. I get some Wes Anderson, some Coen brothers, uh, like Bong Joon-ho. Bong. She's Bong. Yeah. Um, you get those random. Jim Jarmusch. Also, uh, yeah. I mean, romantic she, comedies that she's done that she's like really funny in. Guadagnino. Yeah. Um, so, you get the souvenir. Souvenir. Yeah. She's great in the souvenir. And she has one of the, I mean, I think it's weird, but she's one of the weirdest Oscar wins with Michael Clayton. <laughs> I love her performance of Michael Clayton. It's so, such a sympathetic and unconventional villain and you would not i mean especially in today's landscape you wouldn't expect that that to win an oscar and the fact that she did that in, in like so, so early in her career too um yeah I, I love michael clayton have you guys seen that i haven't seen no. that okay yeah it's i think i mean i think that she's wonderful she's a wonderful actress i mean this is the most boring opinion of all time but <laughs> right yeah, yeah, like, like we'll listen is gonna be like okay we already get this right, yeah. <laughs> move on <laughs> what is there else to say about Tilda Swinton but um yeah she's versatile what can you say I think uh Shay you made a really good point of how you wouldn't really see her in this role because Tilda has this like you said vers uh, versatility to her where she can go either really big or really subtle like hmm. her performance in Snowpiercer she is going all in it is a Big performance, and Okja it's great. Okja too. Bong knows that. Oh yeah, out, she oh, just goes that. crazy, and I love it. But it's something you wouldn't think that maybe she could pull off as such a subtle um, character-focused uh, drama that is just super. Um, I don't want to say hypnotic, but it's just like it's really personal and kind of quiet. 
Um, but so, but it's her best role in my opinion. So it's she's her versatility is without. Uh, she probably is the most versatile actress. Like she, uh, no matter how she can play any age. Like she can play a, a mother in the souvenir. She can play someone older and um, and kind of uh, weird in the Snowpiercer. Uh, she's been able to pull off these like cameos. Didn't she like play like an old man in um, in Suspiria? Or am I mistaken? Yeah. yeah um, I mean, that's, I mean, supposedly it could be Sup- right. Uh, right. Like we don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I didn't even bring up Suspiria, but. I mean, what a dynamite performance that is. I mean, just incredible. Like, um, of course, like playing multiple roles has been done before, but um, you don't see it that often now. I feel like that's so. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very far out. Yeah, especially on big production mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you know, usually your budgets are big enough to where you don't really have to worry about an extra character of some sort. Yeah, I, I, she, again, she's just super impressive and has worked with so many different directors that, um, and in so many different kind of films too, it's, you know, like we've said, it's just, it's really something amazing. Well, and John C. Riley also always surprises me when he does serious because oh, yeah. no matter what, when I look at him, I think stepbrothers. Of course. He kind of has to re-earn my trust in every drama um, and not saying that he's not talented, but it's like, I just, I'm sorry. You're like stuck in my head as stepbrothers. And so that one always gets me at how like casual he is in this movie. And, uh, yeah. Do you not, do you not like stepbrothers? No, I love stepbrothers. Okay. Okay. But, Oof, I thought we were going to have a fight or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> That would be bad. I would should not be on a movie podcast if I don't like. No, Clay, please don't attack our guests. I I I, I was ready. I was ready. No. Um. Yeah, he's so. I think me and Jack have talked about this a few times. Like he's so interesting. He has one of the more fascinating bodies of work. He he wasn't. You know, he was in uh, the Thin Red Line. He's been in like the Sister Brothers. Like he's just been in these really interesting roles that have some comedy maybe. Uh, but he's just he's so good. He's good in everything he is, and, so good in ha- and he, too. oh yeah, he yeah. can really yeah. He's in also yeah. He's in a lot of these like kind of prestigious ensembles that you're like oh yeah, that's John C. Riley. Oh cool, great to see him. He's in my favorite movie of all time, Magnolia, and <gasps> oh yeah, like, that's I mean I haven't seen Step Brothers, but that's because you're a loser. I, that's yeah. weird. You have to watch Step Brothers, <laughs> but I, that's how I know him as. Um, as kind of like a a sweet Los Angeles policeman who's more apt for forgive, forgiveness than punishment. Yeah, like, and I, I I'm like yeah like he'll pop up in like um the Lobster and yeah. and like he's worked with I forget that he's worked with Scorsese twice in The Aviator and Days in New York. That's always weird, but see. I forget all of these because, like I said, every time I see him, I'm like, you got to re-earn my trust. And he does, but then I, like, it goes back to zero again. I just... Yeah. Because he's so iconic as that, but, like, he's... And also, the his drama roles are so... are 
really subtle, and he really just kind of gets sucked into the movie. So he's not necessarily the most standout performance. Yeah. But he's like he's been in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's been in uh, he's frickin' Ralph. He's you know he's uh in Ralph breaks the internet. Um, he's in uh yeah he's in these broad comedies like he has a cameo in The Dictator. Uh, he's in uh Boogie Nights of course, and it's just he's yeah he's been in like three or four PTA films. It's he's really an interesting person. And he uh, he does just so much and it look and he's one of those few people who I like I can automatically assess that has no ego like there's like i have the utmost confidence that he has no ego whatsoever yeah, he can run for and i don't know him yeah i'd vote for john c Riley if he ran for president <laughs> oh definitely Riley, yeah. 2020 yeah i mean unless he said something absolutely horrible at this point yeah. can, like anyone run for president like this is true this is true like hmm if you're over what is it 36 is that I think it's 35. I, I, we'll make I, an exception for John C. Riley, regardless. Yeah, but John C. Riley, yeah. no matter what. Let's all write him in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> or we just write Ralph, and they'll just be like, I guess they mean John C. Riley? Yeah. yeah. As We're the video game the, character, the Ralph? To this, the keys to the city? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Which Weird. He has a big pair of scissors. going to cut the ribbon. Yeah. I love that if you get a key to the city, it doesn't actually open anything. And that oh, yeah, of course not. It's just really, fun. like, my entire childhood is ruined because I thought keys to the city really opened up every door in the city. Um, that would be dope, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like work. a universal key, like a remote. But this is oh. the actual key. We're, we're not playing around with John C. Riley. <laughs> he actually, yeah. he actually yeah, learned no. this. Yeah. We're actually going to get him a real key. Uh, 100%. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I don't. I don't know. I just. It's like honestly, this movie is just so. Like going back even to what you were saying about sound design, it's like I'm thinking even of the moments of silence um, that it really utilizes as well. Um, there's particularly one moment of silence that really got to me, and I I think it's the first time you see Eva at the jail prison and uh she's walking down the hallway and it's just completely silent and then all of a sudden you hear someone like just start yelling um and it's you know because she's in a prison so it makes sense that someone's like you know probably doing something wrong and something bad is happening but it just because it was right after a moment of silence and it breaks just her walking down this hallway it just the intensity and like the ink the anxiety that is produced in this film and every like single shot is just incredible because you're you're just ready for something to happen. And then when it does happen, you're like, oh, I was not ready. Hmm. 100%. So, something that I realized or like I saw this on like uh, like the IMDb trivia and it made sense. Now that I'm thinking about it, there was uh, colors red, white or blue in every shot. Oh, wow. Isn't that- Which resembles uh, a archery uh, target. Oh, a traditional archer- archery target. Oh, my... I did not even think about that. I didn't... Oh, that's... <sighs> that's... Uh... Lynn Ramsey for president. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's Scottish! <laughs> yeah, she's Scottish. Oh Which... God. 
if you watch any of her early short films, make mm-hmm. sure that they're subtitled because I've seen Gas Man. Have you seen Gas Man? I think I can't remember the title of the one. Um, is that the one where she goes to like a little party with her father? Yes. Yeah, it's like the year before Ratcatcher. Yeah, it, and yeah, it's an amazing short. I just had to watch it with subtitles because I was like, I don't know what they're saying. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't it's know. It's thick accent. It reminds me um, that and Ratcatcher remind me of Andrew Arnold's movies. Okay. If you've seen Fish Tank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in just in the like lower class, um, or maybe not lower. I don't. I don't know about the people in Gas Man, but the um, the lower class in Ratcatcher and fish tank how just like how they're visually painted i guess i mean i've never traveled to that side of the world so i wouldn't know i wouldn't i wouldn't find relatability in that in that way but it was it just yeah i think that they're coming at it with two very similar point of views yeah it i can see that because very sympathetic filmmakers i think and and they both have like that cinematic universe just so solid that you like you said I've, I've never been over there I've been to Paris which is not that at all uh, <laughs> and and but yet you feel like you have been there because the world is so alive oh yeah totally uh, which is again like and now that I'm thinking about it it's even in her like latter two films mm-hmm. because even in you were never really here like you feel like you understand this guy in some aspect, even though it's so complex, like you don't. And even in this movie, you're like, I totally get Eva. And then so- she does something else. And you're like, I totally don't. So just her wor- their world building is very similar. So I can, I can definitely see the Andrea Arnold like connection. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and it's going back to that editing where she just, yeah, like with you were never really here. She splices she splices in those moments of of past reflection and and how that leads to further trauma and how people will cope with violence with more violence, I guess. Yeah. And Joe's in a similar self discovery that Eva's in, where he just he feels like there's nothing to um, life anymore because he's he's seen the worst of humanity. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I, it's interesting I, I, how those, no, how those two like are back to back because Eva is bringing life into this world, but Joe is taking life out of the world, I guess. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, I mean, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> those are, those are the facts. <laughs> bare, bare bones. Uh, speaking of taking life out of this world, Holy fuck! Um, that it, 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 just that second half of the movie is just—it's so brutal. Mm. It's so brutal. I mean, like, I don't know. I—I—I Kevin might be like one of the more evil and scary villains I've ever seen, just because of—it's kind of like I'm gonna get a lot of. All right, I'm gonna say it. It—it's. Uh, it, it's kind of a film bro thing of me to say, but it's kind of like Heath Ledger's Joker where he's so mystical and unknowable in the sense of he's just pure evil. And there's just, there's, 
sometimes like it, it, there's just no real concrete answer to why they're doing what they're doing clay all you talk about is the dark uh, can you i know i know but no it, it's but i can't think of it i know it, it, other examples exist but i can't think of it at the moment um it just it's that uncertainty and they just like it's just like what do you want <laughs> and that's the thing like what do you want uh and it, it and you don't know and he probably doesn't know i think uh it, it's just right. it's just this act it's just this will of doing what he thinks he needs to do um yeah. but i just really wasn't expecting that ending i just was so i was so like oh my god they're going there they went there holy shit because we never get this like long long-winded monologue explaining um kevin's thoughts because remember he's like 16 <laughs> like he doesn't understand he doesn't understand the world like just as much as uh eva does um and they're they're similar in that regard where they're just trying to figure things out but what kevin doesn't know i think hurts him and kind of yeah, it hurts him, and I think it scares him a little bit, and maybe that's why he enacted this vengeance onto everything he doesn't understand. Well, and it's so thought out, which is, I think, the scariest part. Like, whenever he gets the delivery a couple days before of the bike locks, like, especially if you go into the film knowing what's going on and you watch that, you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't just a oh, I've thought about it, I've thought about it, and one day, like, you go and you commit a horrible act. Like, this is so premeditated that he, like, has thought about it, planned it, bought the supplies that is not a usual supply that you hear of, of some kind of, like, mass, like, domestic terrorism type thing, and then commits it that day. And even to the point to where Eva's like, you know, why don't we do something on Saturday? I forgot what she recommends. And he's like, I might be preoccupied. Right. And it's like, yeah. oh my gosh. birthday, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because when, when those bike locks arrive, you're still unsure, but because I think that this school tragedy is so, it's such like an unfair but just um, leap to make because you don't want to think that someone would actually go and do this especially someone as as lost as kevin is yeah um, like do you guys feel sympathy for him i no uh, i think he's an evil <laughs> evil evil person who should burn in Clay, the depths of around, hell don't beat around the bush just get right to it fuck kevin i don't like kevin he's a bad dude he's no good very bad don't do it um i i just I understand why people would because of the movie and how like in especially the ending of him. I get it. Um, but also but if you're just like he's just peeing all over the place. He's a mess. I don't like that. You know, just being all that messy as a kid. And that's a choice. No, not for me. I, di I dislike that. Uh, fuck him. Or how about when he puts that or when he leaves that disc? for um for eva oh. to find their computer and and it's just like again it's like when he um he like that's actually kind of funny it, it was but i think it it emphasizes how he like lures um uh eva back in to when she was nurturing him when he was 
like quote unquote sick. Um, she just finds this CD, and it, who knows what it could have been? It could have been like a slideshow of of pictures of them together, set to like music, and I don't, I don't know. It could have been anything, but the fact that it was this, and it was just such a subversion of what she thought it was. At least yeah. that's what that's how I read it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's bloody brilliant. Yeah, I. I will say that this time around I was a little bit more sympathetic and I'm not saying I totally buy it, but if you try to read the movie like through Kevin's lens specifically as if like, this is all what's happening in his head. And so like after the incident is like how he's imagining his mom and you know, he's kind of wreaking havoc on his mom as a child because of how cold she is. Um, or, like, maybe this is, like, could be his understanding of how his mom was to him and how frustrated their miscommunication is. I mean, I would have to really, I think, sell that, but I don't even think I believe it. Just because, you know, again, it, it's so little dialogue. And these are your two main characters that you're looking at. So it definitely could be argued that way. But I think that it's a lot stronger if you argue it that this is... Um, you know, connected with Tilda Swinton's character and the fact that, yeah, like, also, I mean, she obviously wanted to do a lot with her life. And because of her personality, anytime that an opportunity was given to her, she just kind of had to go along with what was best for the family at that point. Like, she didn't want to leave New York. She wanted to travel more. And this is kind of what she got stuck with. And then at the end, she's in an even worse place than before. So it's kind of like a, I I mean, I imagine her going to that jail and meeting with him and being like, I'm just trying to hold on to the last part of my life. So I didn't kill myself just because she regrets so much and you feel for her. Yeah. Totally. I can't imagine like, I know, like, you know, this is a movie, but that pain must be, like, yeah. so unimaginable. I, I, like, I just don't know how you operate at that point. Um, it's so, it's just so crazy that they went there, and it, like, it's also crazier that it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, no, the guy who has, lacks all empathy yeah. and who uh, shows that much sociopathic tendencies, like, at an early age, yeah, I guess they would do that. Like, it just kind of makes sense, even though it's still shocking, which is, again, hard to do. This movie has a tightrope to walk. Like, yeah. the way it depicts all of this, the way it talks about it, um, the progression of everything, the mix of timelines, uh, the the connection of characters and their roles, and it has and being so consistent through the movie... It's it's incredibly difficult and it pulls it off so well, like the best it possibly can. Yeah. It's almost like I th- I think about at the very end when like everyone's surrounding Kevin and he just walks out with the most like sinister look of glee and like sense of accomplishment. And then <sighs> when, he, when he gets on the ground and and he's surrendering and he looks at his mom, it's like he knew that Eva would be right there, like front row, and it's yeah, it's it's very chilling, um, just because yeah, Tilda has this look of of like guilt and the horror and and sadness and um, 
a little bit of relief too. I noticed this time where she's just she's relieved that he he made he made this onto himself and now she's not feeling she can now take this burden off her shoulders and she doesn't have to go to anyone people are coming to him the police came to him obviously right like they just took him away um she didn't yeah. do anything about it it's well and it, it's before she knows that the rest of her family is dead so it like right, right, right. she's almost grateful that like he's alive because it's so sad whenever she's like going through the crowd she's like kevin kevin like looking for him not even thinking he could possibly be the person causing all the chaos and then i think a lot of that goes away when she yeah goes home and she's like i don't even understand like why you would kill your dad and your sister too that's sprinkler that's sprinkler oh my god i i just like I, I I think this movie is amazing and incredible. I am so glad I did not rewatch it. I'm incredibly happy that I did not rewatch this movie. Um, it's it's so it's so fucked up. It's like oh my god, I, it, it's so effective. Like the only okay, this this might get a little dark, um, but the only the only time I can really equate this to of how chilling. Um, the depiction of a school like shooting, um, I think has to be the, do you guys catch the commercial for the Sandy Hook, um, foundation, I think, or like it was like back to school kind of, it was a back to school kind of sensed ad and it kind of starts off as like, oh, you know, these kids are going back to school, they need supplies and then it turns completely dark. Yeah. And it, oh, it's, probably like i think it's the greatest piece of like artist uh, um, art in commercial form ever because it's so it's so like of course it's really like socially like it has a lot to say and it's so relevant but it's still just like so effective in its filmmaking that's like the old those that that's um we need to talk about kevin and that commercial or just stuff that i'm like that is so freaking effective and so scary that it's kind of extraordinary that someone can pull that off in de- in its depiction yeah no that commercial was very like it especially because it's like we weren't kids when these were happening at that mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. so i can't even imagine what it's like to be you know like a fourth fifth grader and like having oh yeah warn you that this is like a thing that could be happening and I know they do active shooter drills like in schools and stuff. And oh my gosh, like, that's a whole nother territory where I'm like, this can't be happening by the time I have kids because I don't want to talk to them about it. I mean, it's true. It can't be as routine as a fire drill. Um, exactly. Because fire drills are, but it's so, becoming like, routine, which is scary. Yeah. Fire drills are, I don't want to say bu- buildings burn down, of course, <laughs> but it's like, there's there. It, it's so rare that, it's almost like you never have to think about it. It's like you're missing 10 minutes of class whenever there's a fire drill. <laughs> but with an active shooter drill, I practice those sometimes freshman, sophomore year, I think. And Oh, really? Was, I never. It was very, um, yeah, it, it just, it made it all the more real because 
you don't know it un unless you're involved, I guess. Um, I mean, and then to see the um, the journey that someone like like Kevin, yeah, because he he's the like I'm not sure if Lynn Ramsey wants us to sympathize with them. Exactly. Yeah. I think be especially in light of like recent events in the last ten years, it's like that would be a very dark thing to sympathize with. Yeah. I you guess know, it made, I guess that makes a difference that this was this came in 2011, and yeah. there's so much, so much, so much has happened since then. It's also a crossbow, which is just. It's an interesting choice. I think it's a good choice because it, I don't know, it gives this, again, this, like, sense of Kevin is not, like, a person. He's this otherworldly thing. Yeah. Like, with that accuracy and that just complete lack of emotion is just, it's kind of, it's extraordinary in a sense of how horrible it is. Um, and, it, yeah, it just... Like, like, like we said, you know, this was before Sandy Hook, so I guess maybe the gun de the gun debate was n was nowhere near as it is now, but it's def it, it definitely wasn't in 2011, not as much at least. I think it's much um, more again Columbine happened before that, so we've had discussions, but it, it's really it's just really crazy that it's just it it connects so well, even though it's um to like what's happening today, even though there's a major part of it that is not included in the film, which is, you know, the gun violence, which is right. interesting how effective it can be, even though there's this kind of fundamental difference, you know, maybe fundamental, but this key difference into uh, the situation. And it's still incredibly chilling. Yeah. I found it much more powerful that they didn't even show the act of like yeah. the violence. It was just like some shots of uh, Kevin shooting his bow and arrow and the box, the bike, like the bike, the bike locks. And in like some screaming and in the red and blue sirens. And it's like, that's all you need to make the connection. It's, it's like the opposite lesson that I'm going to shout out Vox Lux again. Like um, <laughs> it, it's, it's like Brady Corbett doesn't really understand that kind of um, sort of, he doesn't really treat the audience the same way as Lynn Ramsey. That's all I'll say. But um yeah, it's quite effective. Yeah, I um, I think it's interesting, though, because so only one of Lynn Ramsey's movies is original. She adapts a lot from novels. Um, but Rat Ratcatcher is actually her only original, like, written and directed film. But, yeah, so all the rest have been novels, which I don't think she, like, stays very close to how the novels go. And so it makes me kind of want to read the novel to see kind of where she put in her own like lens stuff. Um, just because I'm sure it's like super powerful as a novel too, but mm. yeah, visually seeing this stuff is just a whole nother world. Whole nother yeah, that's world. a good point. Yeah. Um, I think that you were never really here. It was even a short story. So yeah, I read it. It's like a hundred and, 50 pages like it's like a novella it's so small it's like um burning burning was a short story yeah too so i mean sometimes those are even even easier to adapt because there's only so much that you have to follow 
in order to stay truthful. Um, and then you can take your gives own, you room to operate. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Arrival did the same thing. Brokeback Mountain. So I mean, yeah. we just see that all, all the time. Um, and honestly, they're they're yeah, like I said, they're easier to adapt. And you don't see like that hardcore of a fan base either. Like you wouldn't <laughs> no. see um, wrongful ad- adaptations of Brokeback Mountain's short story. Um, Are you saying there there wasn't any? We need to we need to talk about Kevin Stans before the movie. Um, <laughs> That'd be so weird. Big back then, so no one's attacking True. her yeah. right now. Like, oh god! But I I think the one that she's working on now is Moby Dick. Wait, really? Oh, for real? Yeah. So I'm That's actually it. really interested. Because um. Because, yeah, I was looking all this up the other day, and I found out she's supposed to do the Lovely Bones, and she ended up dropping out of the Lovely Bones because she wanted to stray away from the novel. And that was a novel that had, like, a lot of followers, so I think they wanted to stick really close. And then Peter Jackson came in. It was, like, kind of a bomb. And But because she was free, that's why she got to do uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. So... So the Moby Dick movie is even more interesting than I thought. It's an outer space story influenced by Moby Dick. Oh my gosh, this is <laughs> what? And Ramsey in space. And she... Oh my goodness. Yes, I'm that's gonna... awesome. And it's I'm co-written gonna... by the um, by her. It's co-written by the same guy who co-wrote. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin with with her. Oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in. So yeah. that sounds pretty great. Huh. I'm going to the midnight release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But. And there's also there's also she does an untitled project uh, that is on her IMDb called, and it's described as an epic environmental horror film. So please sign me up. Oh that sounds great. That's everything else I want. So space environmental horror. Perfect. I'm pretty hyped up by space this year too with High Life and Ad Astra. I'm all, I I'm all great space. movies. <sighs> Say it again, Shay. I haven't seen either. I'm so bad. Oh. Make I, it a double feature. Make it a double feature. Yeah. I mean, that's a yeah. It, 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 it's those a, are it's two a, very ap- different approaches to space, but I think that and father good. and father her and father her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Um. Yeah. That, no, those are. That's what say I say it again. No, I just had heard that like it's like there is some similarities between the two, but I know. I mean, Claire Denis is like a whole nother like. Claire Denis. Yeah. That's another one that I saw when I was 15. I, I started to... Yeah. <laughs> I You're saw a weird, white, dude. I saw white material, and I, I don't know. I um I wasn't I wasn't prepared. It, like I was saying, I would take any recommendations, anything that... Because right. <laughs> at that time, I just... I feel like I just want... I was just trying to be open-minded. I mean, I still am open-minded by, um, by like, any genre or or something like that like i don't try to restrict myself but but yeah like it's white material and and um bat and like um trouble every day and and bastards like they're just i, I just can't there's nothing else like them like for yeah, no, yeah i love trouble every day i think that is a glorious film i think it's beautiful and it's so it's dark. Gnarly. it can get pretty gnarly yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's her that's her horror film i think Oh, definitely. Definitely. 
So it's I funny. It's funny that Ad Astra and High Life, um, yes, there's some, some similarities, space, fatherhood, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's like High Life is like the most sexual space film maybe ever. Mm. And Ad Astra is like the least sexual space film ever. <laughs> yeah. Um... It's like it's been sex has been sucked out of that movie in like completely. Even <laughs> while Ad it in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. No, I think so. I mean, I think Brad Pitt it, and Robert really Pattinson. No sex are, appeal. Robert Pattinson and Brad Pitt, I think, are both very emotionally reserved, so they don't get a chance to to like kind of like charge up the charisma at all. Um, especially when you know that they're two actors that that can. Um, right. It's almost like space has sucked the life out of both of them, right? Because it's kind of like a dehumanizing activity. At least that's how Gray and Denise see it. I'm yeah. I'm really interested. I mean, oh, yeah. by the by award season, I'll definitely make sure to see all of them. But I'm just like, sometimes it's like, why watch a movie I don't know if I'm gonna like when I can just watch like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what movie I rewatch all the time. Like I I've rewatched The Love Witch a lot, um, or like I. I rewatch a lot of Jacques Demy's stuff because if I fall asleep, it's like in a perfect little dream world. Clay just uh, saw Umbrellas of Cherbourg this summer. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's beautiful uh, movie. Yeah. So good. Um, so heartbreak, so, such a heartbreak ending. Uh, so, so you were in Paris, right? So is it true that all French people sing like <laughs> everything? That, that's, 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 that's true, right? I wasn't taught that in history, but I'm guessing that's like fact. Um, no, they no? don't sing. I don't think I heard any French people sing at all. Wait, that can't be true. I know. it's that, That's insane. You I, I was pretty sure. And you're like, every French person sings everything. Yeah, Why isn't obviously. Why like, is this happening all the time? I know. <laughs> no, oh, but they good. do still smoke cigarettes like crazy. That is like a true French thing. Like, everyone smokes... And they chain smoke after like one after another after another after another, and wow. that was crazy. Is everyone as maybe they start jeweling? What was that? Is everyone as beautiful as Catherine Deneuve? No, I oh. wish. I mean, that's a pretty high bar to set, honestly. honestly. I know, especially like you know that young Catherine Deneuve like look. 60s, yeah. Young girls of Rockford and era, yeah. Yeah, she's just. Yeah, I I love her a lot. Mm. I mean, I probably am more of a uh, Francois Dorliac fan, like, mm. but you know, R.I.P. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I always got to make it dark again, you know, like know. in the dark. It's um, a dark movie. Yeah. So we talked about Kevin. We really did <laughs> finally. And um, we, they 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 really should have too. It's just it's it's unfortunate that they never talked about Kevin. I just think that was so. Wait, I, I was thinking about this at least without I without being interrupted by Kevin because I think they tried yeah. to. True. Yeah, that's true. Kevin just that's... intruded. Um, I I like the title because it's kind of iconic, but I don't I don't know. I feel like it may be a bit much. It's like it, it's just it's so long and it's so kind of. I don't know. I don't, I'm nitpicking, but I think it's, I don't know. I, I just find that so unorthodox. You know, what are we going to uh, call the movie? How about we call it like a full sentence? Shay, do you know if this was the book's title? 
I want to say it is the book's title, but even then I'm like, it is still really long. It's memorable. It's a full sentence. I can't think of another movie that's like a full sentence. You were never really here as a full sentence. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, they could have probably condensed to one word, but then it's like, which word? I think I like this title because Lynn Ramsey's, I mean, everything about her filmmaking is very memorable, to me at least. It keeps me coming back. Yeah. Um, And this, You Were Never Really Here, obviously elongated, and they stick with you because of that. Um, Rat Catcher, I think, Rat Catcher is, is such like a powerful word, and it sticks to that kind of scummy, grimy world that she, of Scotland that she sets. And then Morvern Collar is a person's name. And I think that that's really cool that you can set a movie after a character's name because that just shows like a level of um, appreciation or importance, like Barry Lyndon or something like that. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm actually one of my friends is uh shooting a horror film next weekend and I'm the production manager and it's someone's name so it's Ryan Matters and but th- but that's his name is the character's name it's a horror shoot so it's going to be really fun with a lot of like fake blood and stuff oh, yeah that's cool huh. yeah so when you said that I was like yeah I was actually cuz at first I didn't get that um it was the character's name you just think that like Ryan matters, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like say someone double entendre, yeah. Yeah, but he, I mean, it's like a whole like someone gets killed and chopped up, and we're gonna have to figure out how to make that look good on screen. So <laughs> sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, what just another day at the day of work, right? Yeah, that's a fun. That's a fun Sunday. Why not? You know, it's uh, it, and I'm gonna eat a lot, so. So you picked this as a horror because this is the week of Halloween. Yeah. Um, what? This is kind of tricky, but what scares you about? We need to talk about Kevin. I guess like. I, mean, I guess Kevin. Yeah. Kevin's pretty scary. He is. Yeah. But it's not. Um. Like I think, um, unconventional horror is more interesting to diagnose than something that doesn't belong in a genre like um the lighthouse just came out and that is often i thought of the lighthouse as genreless um because it's walking that's a good point such a fine line between um drama horror and very black comedy um even if it is like inspired by other people that are genreless like bergman or yeah. Tarkovsky. So, yeah, why? what scares you about? Um, well, I actually, story. in looking into this, I came across Richard Brody's um, review of the movie, and he said that we need to talk about Kevin masquerades as a psychological puzzle, but it's essentially a horror, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the scariest part of this is the fact that it's like, it's all psychological until that end. And then, like you said, you don't really see anything. The most you see is, like, the dad and sister in the, you know, backyard with the sprinklers. Um, but there's something so scary about 
as someone who like wants to have kids later, of course, like you don't want to have a kid that's like a psychopath. (laughs) And I mean, there's other movies that deal with this. I mean, the Babadook kind of looks at this movie of like anxiety of motherhood, anxiety of like raising a child that annoys you. Um, And then there's also another movie I was actually thinking would be a great double feature with we need to talk about Kevin called Revenge. And it's this woman who's like very pregnant and she thinks that her baby is telling her to kill people. But, but it's like a British like horror comedy. I haven't seen this one. I'll have to check this out. I loved it. I have not seen anything else like it. And the, um, I can't think of the woman's name who directed it, but she's also the star who really is like seven or eight months pregnant and she wrote it as well. So she just like did it all. And, um, but she kind of deals with that too. Of course, it's on a lighter note than like the Babadook and definitely we need to talk about Kevin, but there's, there's something just so scary and just the reality that this film is based in, um, you know, cause a lot of horror films have like supernatural reasons why people might kill someone or go on a rampage. But this movie has none of that. Like mm. we don't know why he does it. He doesn't even know what she admits in the end. So it's scary to know that these things can happen out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's in ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's life, which is the scariest part. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, totally. So we should start kind of wrapping this up, but I want to ask a question I ask at the end of every episode. Uh, what is each of your guys' favorite scene? I can, I can start. Yeah, you can start, um, yeah. My favorite scene is kind of a weird one because I, I could go with the horrifically effective, you know, um, tragedy or uh, Ava uh, discovering the bodies of her family or the ending where it's like, you know, the ending uh, where they embrace at the prison. But my favorite scene for some reason is him eating the whole entire rotisserie chicken. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. It's so it, weird. It's so weird and it's so effective. Ezra Miller kills it in that scene where he's just like the way he looks at her and just while he's eating, it's so, it kind of sums up the entire movie of like, Kevin is fucking that that's, that's wrong. That is just a wrong person. That, everything about him is just evil and wrong. Um, that it's just, I don't know. I just, I just, I remember that so well. Cause it's like, he just pulls out the entire chicken and just starts eating it like a monster. Ugh, it's and so good. When she's like, I told you we're going to dinner and he goes, but I was hungry. And it's just, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh God. The entire, who does that? Who does that? (laughs) Bites of it. Um, my favorite scene. Yeah. I think I'll have to go with, man, that's so hard. It's hard not to choose like the main ones where, you know, the tragedy because it's so, it's, it's really what you think of when you talk about this movie. Yeah, I think what I think of is like yeah, I I'll I'll just choose what I was talking about before um when he puts the jelly sandwich on the coffee table. Oh yeah. yeah I'm just I'm just going to say that because it's really it really sticks with you, I think. Um once once that becomes more relevant in a few shots and what you can take from that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really good. 
Yeah. Um, I would have to say, I really like the part when uh, Eva's cleaning after the paint gets like thrown on her house and she sees the men with the briefcases that are walking towards her and she gets really scared, which tells you that she's probably had people from the town come and harass her because of being Kevin's mom. And when she goes to the door and they ask her about like, ma'am, do you, I forgot how they word it, but they're like, do you know where you're spending eternity? And she, she just, it's like the moment that you see her give the most emotion since the opening scenes when like her and Franklin are like falling in love and she just starts like laughing. And then as she backs up, she's like, yeah, I'm going to hell. Or like she says something specific, like I'm going to the deepest part of hell. Like, right, right, right. And they look at each other, like she shuts the door and like the camera just lingers on the two of them as they look at each other. And you learn so much about Eva's character just in this just casual interaction of these missionaries who stop by her house. I feel and, like she's thought about this a lot. Like, yeah, this is something that um, has I mean, clearly haunted every day. And she hasn't been able to think about much. And she feels like that she's all to blame for this. Yeah. Like everything is her fault. It sucks. So, I yeah, I, com- I completely agree. It's, uh, I think it just kind of sums up her character where she finally has a place to kind of voice the fact that she's going to go to hell because she's to blame and no one else listened to her all those years. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, it's an incredibly effective, fascinating, um, compelling, captivating movie. All the verbs I can use. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So, Shay, please tell us where everyone can find you on the internet and support your work. Awesome. Um, so the best way is probably Twitter. <laughs> um, and you, it's just, just Shay Vassar. Uh, so, and you can spell my name S H E A V A S S A R. Um, and then, yeah, usually I'll link stuff on there. But uh, currently, I also write for Film Era and for Talk Film Society. So my work comes out there along with a lot of other great writers. So Yeah, you contributed Perfect. to Simplicinophile with us, right? What was that? You contributed to Simplicinophile. Yeah, yeah, I did um, at the beginning. And then I got um, a little bit more work at Film Era. Um, but I haven't been kicked off Simple Cinephile, so I guess if I technically wanted to, I could probably um, submit some stuff over there, too. But Yeah, you covered New York Film Festival for Filmera. Yeah, I did. Um, and that was the first festival I got to cover, so I was really happy, and it was an incredible time. Wait, and that must be, like, right out your front door. Yeah, it, it doesn't take me too long, and then I work really close by, and my school campus is like literally on the same street. I just have to walk across central park. Um, so it was kind of nice cause it was in that perfect fall time where, um, when I would get out of a screening and just need to go to class, I would just walk across central park. <laughs> oh my God. That's yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It was um, really beautiful. Um, but it's getting cold now, so it's not <laughs> as beautiful. Right. It's, it's a good thing that New York happened when it did. Right. 
Exactly. And now I'm going to be cuddled up with my like hot cocoa all winter because I'm not a cold person. <laughs> I so. I remember I visited New York one time when there was like the biggest snowfall of the of the decade. Oh my gosh. It was like something crazy like 15 inches of snow. It was just there for like a weekend trip. It was, it was insane. Yeah. There was like taxis being stuck in the road and stuff like that. It's but yeah, beautiful though. <laughs> beautiful, but we were all just snow. Freezing bitter cold. Well, hopefully everyone enjoys their holidays after they rewatch We Need to Talk About Kevin. So Yeah, it's a perfect, it's a perfect Christmas family. film. Yeah, it's the perfect family film, yeah. Clay. Yeah, show it to all your family. Clay, where can everyone find you, man? Uh you guys can find me at Clayfilm one hundred uh on Twitter. On Instagram, even though I don't use it, uh, I have a Letterboxd account, which I post uh, quite often. That is at Clayfilm100. Uh, I'm also on this app called Stardust. It is a 30-second review and reaction app where a uh, great community, and you just film yourself talking about whatever films and television uh, you want to talk about. Uh, it's really great. Uh, please follow me there at Clayfilm100. And, uh, yeah, Jack, where can they find you? Yeah, um... I'm Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and um, you can find my writing at The Simple Cinephile, and I mean, I I couldn't do Stardust. More <laughs> it's not that hard, trust me. Yeah, I just can't vomit out. I haven't posted recently, though, so in posting. I've been bad about that. And I feel so jealous that you... Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's it's not difficult, but it's it. I wouldn't have the confidence in posting thoughts that just came out in 30 seconds but yeah it's, support, yeah it, support it, it's him. hard to support but thank you no i appreciate I that tried it, um I... please remember to rate review subscribe give yes. us those five stars we would really appreciate that uh we're just starting out we're five uh four or five episodes in i forget because uh, i have no memory four uh four episodes four episodes thank you yes. uh i i'm bad um but yeah. please yeah share it with anyone that you think would listen Really appreciate it. We're having fun doing this. We want to have uh, fun with a few more listeners. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you for thank you so much, Shay, for, for coming on. Yeah, we really so much. Yeah. Yeah. this was awesome. Please come on again. We would yeah. love to have you. All right. Yeah. So, please, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. And keep exiting. Thank you.